Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Start with God. And this is the key question we're looking at today. It's kind of overwhelming if you think about it. Who is God? I mean, how do you talk about a being that is spirit? That is, we can't see him. Who's eternal? In other words, there's no end or beginning to his existence. He has always been. That's beyond our comprehension. He is infinite in knowledge, power, wisdom, size, all those things. They're just kind of brain aches if you start really kind of reflecting on them. I love the story of the little girl in kindergarten who was drawing a picture, and her her teacher walked up and, and looked and asked her what she was drawing, and she said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher smiled and, and, and said, well, honey, that's, that's so sweet. But, you, you know, no one, no one knows what God looks like. And the little girl just very quickly responded back, well, they will when I get done. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that would be some picture. You know, sometimes we see pictures of a, a, an old man in white hair and a flowing robe and a big beard and all that kind of stuff. But, but the truth of the matter is there's no picture that could ever do justice to this, this infinite God that we serve. It's interesting that when we turn to the Bible, it begins not with an explanation of where did God come from or why is he here or why should we believe in him? It really just begins with a basic assumption that he exists that he is, that he always has been, that he's eternal. In fact, his name is, uh, he, he, when he explains his name to Moses, he says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or I've always been who I've always been. It, it, it's this idea of e- eternal. When you turn to the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, in other words, when time began, God created the heavens and the earth. God didn't come into existence in the beginning. When the beginning began, God was already, and in the midst of that, created. And from this very first verse of the Bible all the way to the last verse of the Bible, it never questions God's existence. Instead, he is the focus of every story throughout the whole book. And throughout is the claim that while we cannot see God, he has chosen to reveal himself uh, often in and through his creation. Psalm 19 begins, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. I don't know about some of you, but er earlier this past week, I was in my office here and it was nearly six o'clock and it was a little bit overcast and we have a great view of, of the sunset over here, and, and um, the sun was setting, and there was this brilliant purpley orange up on the clouds. And, you know, those things only last for a few moments. And I went and I grabbed a couple of people, including my wife, Susan, and said, you got to see this. you got to see this. It was gorgeous. And you see something like that, and yeah, you can make the case maybe otherwise, but I look at that, and I, I just feel like there is a God. And that's scripture testifies to that. Uh, you jump to the New Testament. In Romans it says, forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing 
God. Now, the truth of the matter is, when people do surveys, only about 3% of Americans claim that they're actually atheists. And consistently, around 90%, give or take, usually a little bit more, of Americans say that they, in fact, do believe in God. No one can prove he exists, but at the same time, no one actually can prove that he doesn't exist. And so while some atheists try to convince Americans or people around the world that there's no God, if we think about it, because of the number of people who actually do believe, that's really not the biggest question that most of us deal with. Instead, if you think about it, most of us are concerned in answering a different question. Who is the one true God? Who is this God? And throughout the Bible, the assumption is that there are Many gods, there are other gods in the sense of something other than the Lord God that people put their ultimate faith and trust in, that they believe can get them what they want, that can get them head, that can accomplish for them the things that they value. And yet the Bible shows that these other gods are at best powerless and, and in fact no god at all, or at worst, demonic forces opposed to the one true God. Near the end of his life, Joshua, who if you recall, had led the, the Israelites uh, out of the wilderness and across the Jordan River into the promised land. Uh, and, and he was already an, an older gentleman when he had done that. And now as they have kind of taken over the predominance of the land and, and they're settling down, he speaks to them. It's kind of a closing, a closing charge to them. Um, challenging them to stay true to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's what he says in Joshua 24. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua acknowledges that there are other things people trust, other gods or idols or whatever you want to call them. But his concern is, who is it that we give our ultimate faith and allegiance and trust to? His decision is what um, we're going to call, all through this series, our key idea. Each week, there'll be a, a key question, a key idea, a key verse, and a, a key takeaway, if you will. And our key idea today as we look at God, is that I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and this wasn't a, a new idea to Joshua. In fact, before Joshua, when he was just one of the guys and they had just entered into the wilderness, Moses goes up Mount Sinai and returns back with what was called the Ten Commandments. And the very first commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3, God says, you shall have no other gods before me or in my place. Moses would declare that while other people around them believed in multiple gods, what uh, we would call polytheism, that was very common back then. 
Theos means God, so poly means many gods. The Israelites believed in only one God, mono, one, monotheism, one God. And he declared this and he taught it to them in the in the wilderness as they wandered there for 40 years. And particularly, when you come to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy is really kind of a message from from God through Moses preparing the people now that they have been 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, you're about to step into the promised land. What do you need to recall? What do you need to remember? Because when things start going well for you, when you start having abundance, when you have houses you did not build and, and, and vineyards you did not plant, it will be easy for you to forget the God who created all of this. And so he teaches them, and in one of those is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the Jewish people call this verse the Shema, because the verse begins with the Hebrew word Shema, H-E-M-A, which means to hear. It's been a foundational belief of Judaism that there is only one real and true God who revealed himself generally through creation, that's what Psalm 19 said, and particularly through the nation of Israel, who was to be lifted up as a people that God might draw all people to himself. And yet something interesting happens as we, as we move through the Old Testament and then particularly into the New Testament, although it, it's true also in the Old, that God is talked about in three different ways. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Christians then came to see and understand that the God who revealed himself particularly through the Jewish people, through the nation of Israel, now has given us a fuller revelation of himself through his son Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. Our key verse then comes from 2 Corinthians 13, 14 for this week on God. The apostle Paul writes, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It, it, it all is seemed to some that when the New Testament especially starts talking about some of this, are they thinking in terms of three gods in Christianity? And yet we see this echoed over and over again. Jesus, in his last statement, what we call the Great Commission, as he shares that with his disciples, he says, um, he talks to them about this. Uh, when he was baptized, let me, I'm gonna back up here a second. When he was baptized, Matthew 3, it says, when Jesus was baptized, there's one of them, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God, there's two of them, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, there's the third, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus then in the Great Commission said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, shortly after the writing of the New Testament, sometime probably in the second century, um, the word Trinity began to be used to try to describe what God has revealed through Scripture about himself. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but it is a concept that is 
that is revealed, if you will, in the Bible. Uh, from uh, the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible, it says the Christian doctrine of God is distinguished by its emphasis on divine three-in-oneness. That is, the eternal coexistence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the interpersonal life of the Godhead. And the church has held fast to this understanding, that God is three in one. Not that we, we understand it all or we can, we can find a perfect analogy for it, but we understand it and we have stood by that in the face of others who have proposed other ways of thinking about this, mistaken ways of interpreting who God is. And I'm going to give you some they're, they're in your notes, three what I would call pretty big words that don't have to be a part of your daily vocabulary, but the idea behind them is important. The first one is called modalism, and it claims that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are only masks that God wears, and he wears them kind of consecutively. He doesn't wear all three of them at the same time. For a while, he's God the Father, and then in another setting, he's God the Son, in another setting, he's God the Spirit, but he's never all of those and yet Jesus refuted this when he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, you see both of us. We're not one of us putting on a mask and then the other. You see me, at the same time you see the Father. Oneness Pentecostals are modern day modalists. Another word, tritheism. Tri, three, theism, theos, God, three gods, claims that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are three separate gods who together are the object of Christian faith and worship. But this flies again in the face of God being one God. What was proclaimed in the, in the first commandment, what was proclaimed in the Shema. Uh, Mormonism has elements of this today, though they actually believe in many gods and, but claim they only worship one of them. And finally, maybe the hardest word is subordinationism, claims that the God the Father is the one great God, the, the big God, if you will, and that the Son and the Holy Spirit are somehow lesser or inferior gods. They're not as important or not as powerful or not as, as significant. And yet in, in the Bible, in Philippians 2.6, it says Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, in other words, exactly the same, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to take advantage of. So we have right there an example of that. And th this belief is part of the belief system of the Jehovah's Witnesses, that Jesus is a lesser entity in this idea of God. But all of, all of these are problems that, that for centuries now the church has, has refuted. It's important to understand that the historic understanding of God is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is a community, a community of equals, a community within themselves, that, that God's very nature, not that it was created or it came into being at some point, but that God has always been Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And his very nature as community explains why Christian relationships or fellowship or this idea of community, in fact, is important. And why love is the highest value and, and expression of following Christ. Because love only makes sense in relationships. Love doesn't make sense when you talk about things. You, you use things. You love people. And so it's very important to, to grasp what's being said here. When God created us in his own image, he created us to be in community. 
In fact, he didn't create only one of us. He created two. He said it's not good for man to be alone. We are created to be in community with one another because God's nature is communal. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke that community of themselves and with God that God had created them and us for, leading them to be afraid and to try to try harder or to earn their way back in or to, to put others down or to focus on self. I mean, one way or another, it often becomes very selfish orientation on ourselves rather than loving God and loving our neighbors. Jesus came to restore us to relationship, to restore the relationship with God so that relationships with each other could be restored because that's God's nature. Jesus prayed in John 17, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. When that relationship is restored, Jesus says, when, when we operate in community together, our, our unity becomes a witness to the world. It makes a difference rather than infighting or, or picking each other apart. And the Bible says in coming to follow Jesus, we become a part of his body, the body of Christ of followers of Christ everywhere, and particularly in local congregations. In 1 Corinthians it says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Each one, everyone, no exception. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a part of his body. And a body is made of many parts. And yet what he says Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 12 is that each part matters. Each part is significant. There is no part that we can dismiss or we say doesn't have anything to offer or let's set that aside. In fact, he says some of the parts that are least presentable turn out to be the most important parts. Some of you may feel like that sometimes. I don't have anything to offer. And perhaps God is saying, in fact, you have something to offer that is incredibly important. You just don't realize it. You don't see it yet. This whole understanding of Trinity helps us see why relationships are so important to God. People want to say Christianity is all about keeping the rules, obeying the laws, about morality. Those are offshoots, if you will, of a right relationship with God. But the bottom line is relationship. If the relationship is there, then the other things kind of work themselves out. If the relationship is there, as we realize he loves us and he cares for us, then our decision becomes to, begins to become, I want to please him. I want to do those things that are honoring to him. That's very different from saying, I want to get into his good graces by trying harder or doing right, which is, never goes very far. It's all about 
relationship. Jesus said all the laws, everything in the Bible could be summed up in, in, in what he called the great commandment, to love God and love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. The, and it's the, it's the vertical, you will, if you will, the, the strength of the vertical that gives strength to the horizontal. The more confident I am that God loves me, that I am a child of his, that I am precious to him, then it is easier for me to love others because even if others don't like me or don't respond well to me, it's not that my, in my worth or my value is hung up in me because of what you think, but because of what he thinks. The stronger my relationship with God is, the stronger I can love others regardless of how they see or, or treat me. The more confident I can be in the person he created me to be. And so while our Christian journey needs time alone with God, it won't function rightly unless we go on this journey with others. It's how God created you and me. It's what we were made for. God as three in one. I mean, it is a mystery. We'll never fully understand it. And and there are no perfect analogies. I've heard lots of them. And I've even used some of them at various times. And and inevitably, I figure out something where it goes terribly wrong. It's a mystery. There are things that we don't know, that we don't understand. Little Hannah was spending the night with her grandparents. It was time for a bath and Hannah asked her grandmother if they were going to go to church the next morning. And grandma said yes. And, and Hannah kind of turned up her nose and she said, I, I don't like Sunday school. And her grandmother said, well, Hannah, we, we should learn all we can about God. She said, well, I already learned about it when we lived in Illinois. And grandma said, well, you know, sweetie, I've been going to church all my life. And, and I still haven't learned everything about God. And Hannah says, well, maybe you just weren't paying attention. (laughs) But even if you are, God is a mystery. And if anyone ever tells you they can figure him out, they understand it all, that they got this thing called the Trinity down, they're either very young, like a Hannah, or they're very naive. We, We can confess the triune nature of God because the Bible affirms it. We see it from beginning to end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in verse 2, it says, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. From the very beginning, there is the Spirit, and the Son is present. We can confess what Scripture affirms, but that does not mean we can explain our triune God. And it shouldn't become a surprise to us because if God is truly infinite, what does infinite mean? It means there's no end. There's no, no end, no beginning. If God is truly eternal, there's no time when he wasn't. That, I mean, if you think about that a little bit, that gives you a little bit of a brain ache. Because all we know is time. We are creatures of time. We are confined to time. Just think that some Being stands outside of time, of which time is a creation, is not within our way of thinking. And yet God is infinite. 
The, the, the universe is not bound by God. God is bigger than the universe. And time, God is not bound by time. And so the idea that we, who are finite creatures, we, we, we are physical, we, we have dimensions, you know, you can, they're, they're, I'm, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not there. We live in time. There was a beginning to my existence. We are finite beings. And, and to think that we can wrap our minds around the infinite and fully understand it is... Maybe we don't actually understand the terms. How can finite grasp infinite and the other side of that is if, if we could understand our God, if we as finite beings could understand him, he wouldn't be much of a God. That finite creatures could figure him out. So our, our key application then is not that we can answer all the questions, but, but what we can, from what we do know, what difference does this make in how I live my life? What difference does this make in the world today? In other words, if I truly believe that God is God, and, and I not just understand it in my head, but I believe it in my heart so that I live that belief out each day where I am. It's not a Sunday thing. It is a 24-7 thing. What difference does it make? Well, first, because God is God, then I'm not. I'm not. I'm not God. And you know what? You aren't either. I mean, some of you think, may have thought you were God's gift to somebody. And maybe you were. But, but you're not God. And, and that's important because only God is perfect. So you know what? I don't have to be perfect. There's a difference, in fact, even between mistakes and sins. And, and there's no, no place in Scripture that ever says that human beings would never make mistakes, that that was a part of God's eternal plan. And then there's also sin, which is really bad. But I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to get, have it all figured out. I don't have to be perfect for someone else. I don't have to be perfect to be okay. I don't have to do perfect things at work to be loved by God, to be precious in his sight. I don't have to earn anything because it's already a gift that's been given to me. What I have to do is accept that I am the creator, not the creator. And that's hard for some of us. And we don't give ourselves a break. And we think we've got to handle everything. And we've got to have every answer. And we can't talk to somebody else. But ask yourself, what am I trying to be? Am I trying to be exactly what the serpent and, you know, tempted Eve and Adam to be? To be like God? That's a struggle that every one of us probably faces at one point or another. But I wasn't created to be God. 
And what's more, I can't. Next, I can trust God to know what's best for me because he, he has a plan for my life. He created me, and he knows everything. There are no surprises. There are no thoughts that are running through your head right now that suddenly God says, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. He knows. So what are we trying to hide? We're trying to hide something that can't be hidden. He knows because he created us. And in fact, the testimony of Scripture is that that he has plans for our lives. He has a purpose that you really do matter. You may feel at times insignificant in your family, in your work, in the world, but that is a lie from hell. God says you are a wondrous creation of his. And he loves you with your faults and failings, with your sin. In fact, he proved it by sending his son to die for you. And he has a plan for you that fits in his his nature of love and, and justice. And so as we go through the Bible, we can claim those affirmations that God says about his people. And we can trust him rather than thinking he doesn't understand or it's too hard or there's no way I could do that. If he created you for it, he knows you can even if it is hard. And finally, God created each of us for relationships and community with God and with others. And and yeah, some of us are maybe more introverted. Some of us are more extroverted, but we're still in this together. And community of of being together, of connecting with one another, reflects God's very nature and is the place where love is rightly lived. Not, I I love my phone, or I love even my job, but I love the people around me. I love God. Community reflects God's very nature, and it's a place where that love is rightly lived. It's why small groups have always been an important part of the Christian journey, going all the way back to Jesus, who is God, who has no outward need, and yet Jesus surrounded himself with 12 disciples. You won't grow as close to Christ apart from Christian community as you could. And so we've, we've made small groups an integral part of our church, and especially of this Believe journey. And, and I want to I encourage you, please, please, please be in a group. Whether you join one of our open groups that are meeting across the area every day of the week, or you create your own group with, with the materials that we can provide, the book and the video and the, and the journal. Maybe, maybe there are some folks you know at your work or some neighbors down the street don't have a church home they're not against God but maybe something happened to them in a church at some point and they kind of lump all churches and all Christians together you know we're all bad we're all messed up we're all hypocrites well that part's true but um, and you have the opportunity to invite them maybe into your home where they would come and watch a video and have a short discussion 
that they would never cross the, the thresholds of the doors here, at least not anytime soon. And we do it not because it's comfortable or convenient, it's because God loves us and God loves that person as much as he loves us. And he desires for them to experience his love and grace also. And he's chosen to use us in that journey of sharing that good news with the world around us. And so our groups are a great opportunity to minister to others. Just, I mean, you don't have to have a, an elaborate plan. We'll give you the nuts and bolts of how to do it. And just be yourself. That's all. That's all we ever want is for you to just be who God created you to be. In addition to the groups, hope you'll be here and worship each week because we are a community. And there's some things that happen in the community that we can't plan or we can't imagine until we're together. And you don't know what God's going to do. And when he might speak to you or reveal something to you, maybe it's through something I say or it's a song we sing, or maybe it's the person seated right next to you who leans over and asks you a question and somehow it triggers and he's like, that was a God moment. If for some reason you do have to miss, we're going to be putting the messages up on Facebook and up on Right Now Media. So there's an opportunity for you there along with the, the study questions, that uh, sermon notes that you can look at. And don't forget the, the Believe Bundle. We have the, the book. Uh, today is the very first day. We're starting on chapter one, God, which begins on page 15. And uh, there's several pages that have some teaching, but mostly scripture in there. And here's the thing. What you might want to consider doing is each week, uh, this will be the topic for the week, but maybe you want to read it before you come. So uh, you, you didn't do it today, but maybe next week, as we're looking at topic number two, a personal God, you read chapter two next Saturday evening or early Sunday morning before you come. And then as we talk about it and we worship together in here, God has given you more fodder to, to connect with and, and consider how he might speak into your life. Don't have to do it that way. You can read it during the week, but that's, a, that's an option for you. And then in addition, we've created journals, an opportunity for you to read each day some scripture related to today's, this week's topic. Today is... Um, Sunday, January 29th, on page 12 of the journal, here it is. God is trustworthy. And there's scripture readings from Psalm 33, 4 and Acts 13. And some questions. And I've, I've already done mine for today. Didn't take me very long, but it was an opportunity to do that. And there'll be several more things this week. Tomorrow, January 30th, God is just. Tuesday, January 31st, God is holy. Wednesday, February 1st, God's anger is just. There's some, there's some scripture there to dig in a little deeper and, and, and do this. And I want to encourage you to do, to do this as well, to have this as a part of your journey as you go forward. That it's not just what I do in here on Sundays, but what we do together and separately as the people of God to understand our God better. Because remember, our beliefs 
have consequences. And, and, and it's easy for us to, to get caught up in busyness and life and things just kind of slip away from us. It's not that we intend to, but we just kind of forget. And so building in these practices helps us keep the main thing the main thing. And, and the consequences of, of how we believe about God shape then not just our faith, but shape our whole lives. We can play around with belief, even when it's helpful or convenient yet back off when it gets challenging, when God is calling me to something that's not easy, that maybe causes me to sacrifice something I kind of like or I want to do, even if it's not the best for me. That's why Joshua's challenge 3,500 years ago is just as, as significant and true today as it was 3,500 years ago. He says, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the question that you and I need to ask ourselves and renew every day. Today, who will I serve? Will I serve me? Will I serve my needs? Will I serve somebody over here? Or will I serve God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In your notes, there's a place at the back bottom. It says, today, I choose to serve. It's just for you, nobody else. But you can, you can put that in there. You can write that down. You can make note of that. In fact, in, in, these, in the journal, there's a place on page 11, right before page 12, for sermon notes. You can staple it in or write it in as a tool to keep it all there together. But here it is. If it is God, if it is God, then you and I have to put the mission ministry of his church first in our lives, which has always existed to help this understanding in our heads become real in our hearts so that we live out the truth each day, every day. If you have questions about some of this, our prayer team is going to be down here and would love to talk with you, pray with you if you're struggling with some of this. It's hard. Some of it's really hard. I don't want to, I don't want to kid you. If you're interested in, in joining a group or even creating a group, our next step area right out there, and in addition, they have the, the bundle that you can get to, to have the books to start, because today is the day. Today we begin. Today is the, the journey starts moving forward. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna trust God to lead us in this, to go forward to where he wants us to go. If, um, if you're new today, let me just tell you, we're glad you're here, and there is nothing about this that precludes you from joining us starting today to get the material, to sign up for a group, and begin immediately. In fact, I can't think of a better way to connect into a family of God, to start meeting people, and to start letting God become more central in your life. I'd love to meet you, though, if you're, if you're new, or folks, if you brought somebody, I'll be out here with some friends right after the service, and we'd love to say hello. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that your grace is amazing. And yet we confess that so often we 
we get caught up in other things. We, we worship other little G gods that become important to us. We, we overlook what you can do, that you are infinite and eternal, that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and that you love us. Maybe that hits home more than anything else, that you, a perfect, infinite God, created us and love us in spite of our sins. In fact, Jesus Christ died for us while we were still sinners. It proves your love for each one of us. Father, help us to take your hand, trust you, and walk with you. Help us to allow our lives to be conformed increasingly into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. Help us to be in community with each other as you are in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we might be all that you created us to be now and especially forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.